Welcome to today's issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Ed Vitagliano. And welcome to the program, folks. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I am joined by Fred Jackson, who is technically me today. I'm sitting in for Tim. You're sitting in for me, Fred. Welcome. We're just moving the chairs around. Hey, That's listen, right. happy spring, Ed. Yes. Happy spring. spring. That's right. It's the first day of spring. It's first day of spring. You know, growing up in Nova Scotia, you know what the first day of spring meant? <laughs> nothing. You only had two more months of snow. <laughs> I was going to say, absolutely nothing. Kind of like when a preacher says in conclusion. Yeah, right. It means absolutely nothing. Well, sitting in for you today, for Fred Jackson today, is Chris Woodward. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Good to be back. And then uh, Steve Jordahl will be with us um, at 11.05. He'll be sitting in for himself. We don't let anyone sit in for Steve. No, there's only one Steve. Yeah, that's right. Now, folks, uh, just as a little bit of a uh, a tease, let's just say that, although I hate to use that word, a tease is usually something that you're going to like to hear. Well, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have Brandon Showalter on. He's a reporter for the Christian Post. He has written a stunning story um, about parents who are reporting that the schools to which they are sending their children are teaching those children. I mean, we're talking about the youngest grades, folks, about not only transgender ideology, but are supporting these kids in in their uh, changing ideas of their own gender identity without telling parents that is the school policy, that it is none of the parents' business and that these kids need to make these decisions on their own, that parents are not safe conduits of proper information. Uh, I think you're going to be spellbound and shocked. That's coming up at 1030. And then at 1045, Steve Tiber, president of Eight Days of Hope, will give us a picture of the other side of what Christians are doing. We're not only standing for righteousness, but we are standing for love and compassion. As uh, Steve Tiber tells us what Eight Days of Hope is going to be doing here in the coming weeks, you'll want to hear both of those stories starting at the bottom of the hour. All right, Chris, take us away. All right, well, happening right now, uh, confirmation hearings are underway for Ketanji Brown-Jackson. That is the lady that President Biden has nominated to replace Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires. Um, She is taking questions uh, today, mostly statements from members of the Senate Judiciary Committee And a lot of groups have weighed in on this nomination. Uh, For starters, Project 21, a network of black conservatives that we interview on a pretty regular basis here, they've taken issue with the fact that President Biden was dead set on picking a black woman for the Supreme Court. Project 21 says they'd they'd prefer to have all people considered, not just somebody that checks a few boxes in terms of race and gender, stuff like that. Uh, But I have some sound here from a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, that being Josh Hawley, a Republican senator from Missouri. He's got questions about how Judge Jackson has come down in, in giving light sentences for sex offenders and other things like that. Clip one. Well, it's her record, and it's really what concerns me. In particular, just to take one example, if you look at what she's done with child porn offenders, while she has been on the bench, Judge Jackson, in every case in which she's had a child porn offender in front of her, she's given that person a lenient sentence lower than what the federal guidelines recommend, lower than what prosecutors from the government sought. 
And in fact, she did it in case after case. And going back to her time on the Sentencing Commission before she was on the bench, she wanted to eliminate the current mandatory minimum sentence for child porn offenders. As far back as law school, she talked about uh, questioning whether child sex offender registries are even constitutional. So this is somebody, I think, who, who has a, a lot of issues when it comes to being lenient with criminals, soft on right. crime. And I just want to know, is this a person who's going to protect our kids or who is going to protect child sex predators? And we need to get those answers. Now, Fred, uh, we do want to be uh, somewhat fair here. And uh, the Washington Post and Associated Press have pushed back on Senator Hawley's accusations, saying that they're taken out of context. But the senator points out her actual rulings, okay? Yeah. So there may be some, uh, the Associated Press and Washington Post claimed that some of the quotations that Senator Hawley was, use, was using um, were Judge Brown, uh, Brown Jackson repeating what others have said, all right? Now, I trust Senator Hawley. He seems to be a man of integrity. That argument aside, the senator's main accusation is that her rulings speak louder than any defense that the Washington Post can utter in her behalf. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we should not be surprised uh, that is a black woman that is sitting at this hearing today because that's what Joe Biden said he would do. Uh, so that's... That's one of the key reasons she's in that chair today. Right. And then secondly, no one should be shocked uh, that uh, Brown Jackson has a liberal point of view on the law. Uh, she is not going to be a constitutionalist. Uh, she is going to be someone uh, in the footsteps. Uh, in fact, she worked for, I think, Stephen Breyer at one mm -hmm. point. She clerked for him. She, is replace she will replace him on the bench. He retires in the summer. So uh, she'll be ready for that. So, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, Josh Hawley, uh, Senator Ted Cruz are on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, we can expect some fireworks uh, that'll be there. The Democrats have already kind of circled the wagons uh, around her. Uh, you can expect that uh, they were okay with the way they treated some of President Trump's nominees. You know, they just dished it out. Right. Uh, it was pretty wicked, and they justified it. Uh, but they will, you know, Holly, Ted Cruz, uh, they can expect some pretty severe opposition to their questioning uh, from from uh, the Democrat members uh, of the committee. I think Dick Durbin, Senator Dick Durbin, is on that committee. He's already been out there being interviewed this weekend. And I, I think we have a clip of, is it Mistel? Um, MSNBC. It's Ellie Mistall. E Ellie Mistall. Mm -hmm. uh, the mainstream media already defending her and going against those who would question her. Uh, she says that uh, by bringing up Brown Jackson, a record on child porn, uh, he's speaking of Holly, uh, trying to get her, her killed. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the Yeah, context. basically, uh, Mistall is accusing Holly of making remarks. Um, Do we have the actual the clip? Yeah. Well, yeah, we've got we've got audio of Mistall uh, saying that by bringing up Brown Jackson's record on child porn example, uh, Holly was trying to get her killed. Clip three. I, I don't want to let the Josh Holly thing lie because here's you know like here's where I need the Democrats to step up because when they try to smear her, I need the Democrats to get up there and defend her just as vociferously 
as Lindsey Graham defended alleged attempted rapist Brett Kavanaugh. Like, I need that level of energy from the Democrats, especially when they come at her with this with this trumped up um, uh, alleged issues about uh, her sentencing on uh, for, for sex offenders. Um, because what Josh Hawley is doing, let's be, let's be very clear. What Josh Hawley is doing when he tries to do this um, is he's trying to get her killed. He is trying to get violence done against a Supreme Court nominee. And we know this because when these people go off making their ridiculous claims about child pornography, we know that there, some of their people show up violently um, to, to do stuff, as happened to the New Hampshire pizza parlor. And well, there, first, of all, first of all, what's with the music? I, it was up against the break, apparently. Oh, yeah. okay. There's the big difference. We, we expect when... Uh, a, a Republican president nominates somebody, the Democrats are going to be tough on them. And we expect when, uh, in this case, Biden nominates somebody, Republicans will be tough on them. But here's the big difference, and you just heard it. The mainstream media joins with the Democrats in verbally uh, uh, attacking. attacking. Yeah. Uh, but now the mainstream media, they are all in. Uh, I read an Associated Press story this morning on Brown Jackson, and it was like she is the best thing since sliced bread. You know, she better not be touched. The the Holly comments were mentioned in uh, the AP story about close to the bottom uh, of it all. So uh, she's 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 going to be pat. You know, I, I think there will be Republicans, Susan Collins, Markowski of Alaska, Mitt Romney, uh, when she passes out of committee. They'll all vote in favor of her. So, well, one of the kind things of we need to we need to note is now senators have the option before the actual hearings start of going to visit the judge. Now she is already on the appellate court for uh, for DC, correct? DC appellate court. So correct. she she's not uh, the senators are not unfamiliar with Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, but they get to visit with her, ask questions, and as others have noted. The judge has refused to let senators, GOP senators, know what her judicial philosophy right. is. So now that's not necessarily only typical for judges who are on the left. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if you're someone like Amy Coney Barrett, you're going to make it clear that you are a constitutionalist, an originalist. Most of our listeners probably understand what that means. Uh, it, it for those who don't, it simply means you view the Constitution as the meaning and intent of it as the writers, the founders intended it. Those on the left generally believe that judges have the right to interpret the Constitution as a living document and apply its words in a way that they want to right. apply it. It's what we call legislating from the bench. But uh, I, I do also want to make one other comment, and then Chris mm -hmm. will we'll come back to you. If Democrats and its def and their defenders in the media want to complain about Republican tactics towards nominees nominated by a Democrat, they only have to look in the mirror because they started the oh, sure. politicization yes. of the Supreme Court with Robert Bork yes. way back in the 1980s. When Ronald Reagan nominated Robert Bork, mm -hmm. they decided to go nuclear on him, and it has been political ever since. Oh, yeah. So Democrats can blame themselves for starting it mm -hmm. because 
they're to blame, as far as I can tell, yeah. for initiating that. Uh, it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily on the same level with Bork, but uh, Democrats re- went really hard at Justice Thomas when he was nominated. And, of course, as everybody knows, uh, they really went after Kavanaugh. Right. Uh, they didn't like Amy Coney Barrett. Gorsuch was probably the last one that was uh, maybe not as controversial or non-controversial. Um, but, uh, you know, they still take issues with things that Gorsuch has said in opinions. And of course they went nuclear, uh, to use your word there when he said Merry Christmas of all phrases on yes. Fox and friends a couple of years ago, but you mentioned, uh, judge Katanji Brown Jackson's, uh, judicial philosophy and kind of the mystery as to where she stands on some things, at least in terms of her not clarifying her position on stuff. Um, the judicial philosophy was one of the things that Carrie Severino of Judicial Crisis Network talked about today on Fox and Friends. She also has uh, shared concerns about Judge Jackson. Clip four. She's represented in her practice uh, terrorists, uh, pro-abortion groups. She's been very hostile to business groups. Um, and then she has a disturbing record of being uh, politically hostile, it seems, to Trump administration regulations and executive orders. She has frequently been overturned by the appellate court, in fact, even by liberal judges judges for going too far beyond her own authority in overturning Trump-era regulations in, in a very, what looks like a very political fashion. I think all of this does not bode well, especially for a judge who, by her own admission, says she doesn't even have a judicial philosophy. So she has a very troubling record combined with unwillingness to say what her even approach to the Constitution is. Now, building off of that, uh, when Judge Jackson was nominated, everybody and their brothers started putting out press releases. American Life League had concerns about her. First Liberty Institute out of Texas had concerns. ADF kind of took a wait-and-see approach, uh, but certainly um, her position on things will probably be an issue on ADF-type cases. Free speech is one example. Um, So, you know, she probably, I I would say she will be confirmed along some sort of narrow party vote. Uh, Some people on the right don't necessarily think this is a hill for Republicans to die on. Others want to block her from the court. You know, we'll see what happens. This is an election year, so I I think it's probably a divisive issue amongst Republicans uh, in the Senate for sure. Well, Fred, uh, part of the problem with all all of this that we're discussing when it comes to judges nominated by a conservative or by a leftist, radical, socialist on the left— you notice how I, I worded that. Uh, part of the problem is that we're we're concerned uh, about locking the barn door after the horse has escaped, because the problem is most of our law schools have already gone, in my opinion, uh, culturally Marxist. Oh yeah. And so you're what you're getting. You should. We shouldn't be having this discussion. You shouldn't have to ask a nominee what your judicial philosophy is. Everyone's judicial philosophy should be to uphold the Constitution. And if you're going to do like the Supreme Court did on the jet transgender ruling uh, not too long ago, if you're going to say that the that the law written by Congress with regards to Title Nine, uh, I got the the title right for Title Nine is the women's sports. Women's sports that when Congress writes a law and talks about sex, it's not talking about biology. <laughs> We're go, we're going to interpret it to mean whatever we think it should mean in in in, in our current time. Half the battle's already been lost. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be talking about these kinds of things, but we are. And it's sad. Yeah. And it's sad for our country. And conservatives have to continue to hammer home the importance 
that if you don't if you want to change the constitution and impart new rights you've got to do it the way the constitution says you've got to amend the constitution yeah. you don't amend it from the bench no and we've seen that and uh i guess if there's any bit of light in any of this uh when Bron jackson and I, I really do believe she'll be on the court she is replacing someone who is far left so the uh, judicial equation of the court is not going to change when she gets on there. So that's you can breathe a little bit on that one. She's not going to change uh, the the thinking of the court as a whole. Uh, we can be thankful once again today that former President Trump had the opportunity to put three fairly conservative justices on the United States Supreme Court. Right. Uh, we can be thankful, and we are praying uh, that when a decision is rendered on Mississippi's pro-life law, that that ruling is coming in June, we it think. Should. By, by, June. By, by the end of June. By right. the end of June, uh, we are all praying that that is going to change, make a major change in the approach mm -hmm. to pro-life legislation in this country. And so we ought to be thankful for that. You know, another case that uh, potentially a justice uh, Jackson might weigh in on is the case involving Joe Kennedy, the uh, fired football coach in Bremerton High School in Washington State. That was the guy right. that was fired for brief private prayers uh, after after games. Uh, the Supreme this is the Court, one who prayed at midfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the uh, you know the Supreme Court decided in the last month or so they were going to take up that case. That's going to be in the uh, in the coming term. So if she is confirmed, she is going to have a uh, vote on that particular case. And that's big because at a time in which uh, the president of the United States can talk about his faith and praying and uh, saying things like God bless the troops, all of which I totally am fine with and agree with, uh, a public school football coach can't pray himself after a football game. Right. Simply because it was on it might offend somebody. Pub, well, public mm -hmm. grounds. Right. I mean, this this is cra the kind of craziness that we're dealing with. Right. I mean, as, as far as I remember that case, uh, the coach would just go to midfield, whoever whoever was a Christian and wanted to join them. Nobody was forced to. Nobody they didn't even have to pray to. to the same God. Right. So they could come and just join them. But because he was a school teacher yeah. and because it was public grounds, the left went after him. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Fred. You are replacing Stephen Breyer if Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is confirmed. You are replacing a leftist with a leftist. But I, I, it, what remains to be seen is just what kind of rulings she writes. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just whether someone wins or loses. It's the language that's used yes. when the court ruling is written. Mm -hmm. Because that's what further down the road other Supreme Court rulings will quote. So it remains to be seen just mm -hmm. how far left uh, Judge Brown Jackson is. I guess we'll, we'll, if if she's confirmed, we'll just we'll find out. Most likely, uh, I think the White House is shooting for her to be confirmed by April, um, so well in advance of the Supreme Court term ending. Uh, I, you know, I, well, I'm just. What do you do between your confirmation and the term? Like you, you know. I'm just kidding. What do you do for a job at that point? She's not going to be part of any kind of you know cases being. Well, decided, she'll or, she'll be paid. She's still in the D.C. Court yeah. of Appeals. Uh, listen, listen, elections have consequences. They do. That's mm -hmm. th this. This is this is what happens uh, when you vote certain ways. You put certain people in office. They get to decide what our courts look like. So, while we're talking about the mm -hmm. court, we need to be in prayer for Justice Clarence Thomas. He was hospitalized on the weekend. We understand mm -hmm. 
it is for flu-like symptoms and that he's improving. He should be out in a couple of days. But, uh, you know, when I read first read that this morning, there was a, a little bit of a shiver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that uh, this was, was happening because if if something was to happen, if he was to retire, right. Justice Thomas, that opens a big door for President Joe Biden. Just like Ruth Bader Ginsburg yes. was replaced by conservative Amy Coney Barrett, you know the left mm-hmm. would, uh, Nancy Pelosi would be rubbing her knuckles together uh, like she did at the State of the Union address. And we they still would, don't know what that means. They, they would want to <laughs> replace a Nancy. conservative, <laughs> yeah. one of the finest conservatives we've ever had on the court, oh, Clarence Thomas, mm-hmm. with a radical yeah. leftist. I saw uh, a tweet a couple of years ago. Um, Justice, somebody had claimed uh, Justice Ginsburg was on their flight somewhere, and uh, all the people were like, oh, my goodness, wrap her in bubble wrap, put a mask on her, all these other things, because they were so concerned for her health and whatnot. Uh, you know, she, she was in poor health for a number of years before she passed. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, folks, it would pray for Justice Clarence Thomas. So. Yes. Exactly. All right, we got a couple of minutes before the break. What else you got? Well, we can uh, start this and then perhaps go back to it, but... Um, this is kind of the time of year when a lot of schools are starting to look at GPAs to determine who's going to be their valedictorian for the upcoming graduating class. And this is also a time in which a lot of schools are uh, doing things in the name of what they're calling equity. Um, and I bring all this up because starting with the class of 2026, a school district in Colorado is going to do away with valedictorian because they're concerned that it's not treating kids equitably, which is a hard word for me to say. Um, so this is one example of schools going out of their way to make sure that things aren't going to hurt somebody's feelings or treat people unfairly. Um, Where was this? It's a school, uh, Cherry Creek School District in western Arapahoe County, Colorado, if I said the name of that county correctly. That sounds like right. right. And uh, as you might expect, this did get some reaction. Uh, I've got some audio here from Dan Bongino talking about this on Fox & Friends today, saying that treating everyone the same regardless of effort is to treat everyone differently. Clip five. There's a hard reality here that should be really disturbing to the audience. This is symptomatic of a larger problem on the, on the left. Meritocracy is not their thing. They, they believe in this radical egalitarianism where everybody should be equal. Mm-hmm. But you have to think about this, guys, right? To treat everybody equally using things like this, getting rid of merit and valedictorians and other things, right? To treat everybody equally, you have to treat everyone unequally, right? Because people who work harder get less rewards than people who don't work as hard I get and then get logic. the same thing. That I should point I out if you I don't get that logic. Well, you, well I was you just going to say that to me. What, well, uh, I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah. I think this policy is moronic. Sure. Yes. Okay. I, I think it's everybody gets a trophy philosophy. Yeah. You know, it is doing away with the idea of rewarding people who have worked extra hard. It is not about this is a great person, this is a small person, and not worth anything. It is about rewarding hard work. It is kind of along the lines of Harvard now uh, won't let Asians in because they're Asians and they're really smart. They penalize them. They Mm -hmm. penalize them because they're really smart. And they always, you know, in the case of Harvard Law, they're finding a lot of Asians who apply for Harvard Law are really smart kids. Right. And they're really smart because they work really hard. So, So Bongino is saying that if you tell kids to work hard and you do well, and then someone actually does work hard and does better than everyone else, you're treating them unequally because you're not allowing them to get the rewards for how hard they worked. Yes. All right. Now I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, w- I, was, uh, I-, I was not 
a valedictorian. Yeah. That was a valedictorian I was six material. Of a, I was six-tenths of a point away from being an honor student, and I'm not bitter. <laughs> well, I was in the top 10%, but that, you know, I'm not bragging. <laughs> what, what, what do numbers mean, after all? You're an you're executive supposed, now. You're supposed, you're supposed to say something uh, that, that makes me. F- I'll let you have your parking spot tomorrow. All right. All right. Look, <laughs> these people, these people, I, I don't want to keep insulting people. It's sinful to call them names. All right, folks, when we come back, Brandon Showalter will be here. You're not going to want to miss what's happening in schools. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Grace Smith was 16 years old when World War II broke out. She was a teenage bride at the time, and when her husband was called to the front lines, she dropped out of school. Life came at Grace fast and furious, and finishing her high school education became a fleeting thought. She eventually became a bus driver for the Madison County School System in Alabama driving kids to and from for 30 years. Her family said Grace was never one to look back on the past, never mentioned any regrets except for one. Grace wanted to finish her high school education. And so it was that 79 years later, Grace Smith received her diploma at Hazel Green High School wearing a scarlet cap and gown. Grace was surrounded by all of her family, including 26 great-grandchildren. In her commencement address, Grace summed up the day by pointing out that it's always better late than never. I'm Todd Starnes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 American Family Radio 
This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back, folks. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I am joined in studio by Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. Well, folks, I mentioned at the top of the program that we were going to have a guest on uh, to discuss a very, very disturbing trend in public schools, maybe your public school, where parents are being knowingly or purposefully probably be a better way of saying it, kept in the dark about what these same schools are teaching their children about gender identity and to explain ah, just the horror of what's going on in some of our public schools. We want to welcome to the program Brandon Showalter, a Christian, Christian Post reporter. Christian Post does a great job covering a lot of these cultural issues. Uh, Brandon, welcome to Today's Issues. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Uh, Brandon, kudos to you. I've read a lot of your stuff. Uh, You you cover a lot of these kinds of issues in great detail, so uh, I enjoy your writing. I hope you continue it and keep it up. Uh, Tell us about, now this story was from uh, uh, March 8th, I think, and we're going to post this on our Facebook page Tell us what's happening. What did your uh, your research show about what's going on in some of our public schools? Well, this is in public schools throughout the country, and I think many people think that, well, it's probably only in these really liberal blue states, you know, California and New York, that kind of thing. But this movement, this quote-unquote gender identity movement, is rife throughout our culture. It's wherever there's Wi-Fi, this is affecting children, and it's even in deep red states, probably less so than some of the more liberal areas, but this kind of curricula and, and lessons and policies are being implemented very stealthily and very it's sneaked in um, very secretly to, uh, to school systems around, around the nation. And yes, uh, most egregiously, it's driving a wedge between families. It's pitting children against their parents. If a child uh, expresses to a guidance counselor or to a teacher that they are identifying as the opposite sex. Schools are actively concealing that disclosure from the parents and are oftentimes facilitating a quote-unquote gender transition behind the children's backs. And so you referenced that article on the 8th. Well, that was a panel discussion of the mothers at, who spoke at the Heritage Foundation here in town in D.C., and they all spoke at, to varying degrees about how the schools in their states undermined them and even behind their backs were, were teaching this kind of content to children and in some cases even facilitating what they call a social transition or even in the case of one, an actual transition, which I even hate using that word, but they wound up even removing legal custody from the mother and they got the daughter into a foster care system where they then pumped her full of cross-sex hormones and tragically that teenage daughter wound up taking her 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 life. So this is serious, serious stuff. You don't play footsie with this kind of thing. Uh, they're brainwashing children to believe lies about the most basic facts about who they are, lies about biology. Um, it's, it's really, really horrifying. Well, uh, Brandon, in your article, you uh, cite, uh, quote, Nicole Solas from Rhode Island. There was a mom from Florida, January Little John. Abigail Martinez of California, but Solas 
you quote in here. And uh, these moms had to do their own digging. Uh, some yeah. of them are having to take legal action, file uh, information requests, um, because the schools just will not uh, confer with the parents. But here's what you quote her as saying in this panel discussion. Under the banner of non-discrimination, they are assisting students to transition genders and they do it without parental consent. So the first, that's the end of the quote. So, uh, Brandon, the, the, the first thing these schools seem to do is they pass a non-discrimination policy, say we will not discriminate on anyone on the basis of gender or their gender identity, and then under cover of that policy change, they say parents can't be trusted with this information, we'll keep it from them. Is that fair to say, to characterize what these schools are doing? That's absolutely a fair characterization of what the schools are doing. And these policies, oftentimes, it's, it's done so, it's sneaky. It's very secretive and stealthy how they do this. A lot of times, it's, it's not because there's been some kind of order from on high or a, a state law even. It's these schools just adopt these policies at the behest of activist organizations who are interested in seeing more students, quote-unquote, transition. Uh, it, it just really is so insidious because a lot of these parents who, as you say, have to do their own digging, were not aware that this was even in effect in their schools. Sometimes it even bypasses school boards. School boards aren't board members are not even in the know. This is something that is activist-led, teacher-led, and oftentimes activists and teachers are completely, you know, there's no daylight between them. And they are implementing these quote-unquote non-discrimination policies. And yes, under that umbrella, they are facilitating this kind of, there's no other word to call it, abuse of children while they are at school. And they're saying that if the child makes such a disclosure that he or she's confused about their sex, that the parents then can't be trusted because if the parents don't affirm it, then that is a form of child abuse. Everything is inverted in this space. Brian, it's Fred Jackson here. You know, it's been 50 years since I was in the public school system, but I do remember parents and teachers acting as a team. They shared yes. values. They, they mm -hmm. shared values, and I conservative, biblical values, whatever you want to call it. And so the parents didn't regard the teachers as being a threat to their children. Something has happened in the last 50 years. And, and uh, I mean, where does it come from? Where does this idea now that teachers say, we know a whole lot better? I mean, we saw this in Loudoun County in Virginia. Parents found out what their kids were being taught, and they said, my goodness, this is, this is awful. This is terrible. This is not reflecting my values. Somewhere along the way, Teachers, school districts took on this philosophy, whatever the kids are being taught at home is wrong. We are going to indoctrinate them to become, you know, Hillary Clinton's it takes a village philosophy. Well, I think it's even darker than just the Republican-Democrat divide, whatever people think of Hillary Clinton. This is totally a breach of what we would expect in terms of just basic professionalism. Aside from all of the cultural changes that have indeed happened and the erosion of you know, a biblical framework or worldview from the larger culture, it's really, really inappropriate for teachers to be talking about these kinds of things with students when it's their parents' responsibility to do this kind of thing. There's been a lot of you know, hay made in Florida with that quote-unquote don't-say-gay bill, despite the text of that legislation 
It doesn't even contain the phrase, don't say gay. You know, it also doesn't even say, don't say straight. It's just saying that teachers are not allowed and should not be allowed to talk about those kinds of themes, sexuality and gender identity themes, with students in grades K through three. So aside from all of the, you know, the erosion, as I was just, I was just mentioning there, this is just a, a complete just shattering of all professional standards and the divide, the appropriate divide that should be between the, the students and, the, and their teachers. The teachers have no business talking about this kind of thing. And you're, you're correct, where there was absolutely more of a cooperative relationship in years past with teachers and parents. That is sadly no longer the case. And again, I just want to emphasize that you cannot expect this to be the case even in you know, conservative areas of the country where you might, might expect to have more, more sympathy. Uh, this is everywhere throughout our school system in the United States. Hey, it's Chris here. Um, I have a question. Uh, a lot of times these cases, these incidents involve public schools. Uh, and sometimes people, you know, say, well, you know, thank goodness, uh, you know, I've got my kid in another setting. But should parents of students in uh, private schools or maybe even religious schools kind of be on notice here and really, you know, ask their kid what it is they're being taught in school, what their teachers are telling them, things like that? You cannot be certain that private school is going to save you because this kind of ideology is everywhere, including in some private schools. Believe it or not, I've even heard it in some supposedly Christian schools. Parents have to scrutinize the kinds of curriculum that they have in schools with a fine-tooth comb. This stuff is poisonous. Uh, even the phrase gender identity, whenever I say that in conversation with people, I always put air quotes around it because the concept is on its face false. There is no such thing as a gender identity apart from one's biological sex. It's a completely made-up idea. There's no blood test, no brain imaging scan, no genetic marker to ever prove that you can be anything other than your sex, male or female. Even those minority-fused you know, individuals who have uh, chromosomal anomalies where they might have like Turner syndrome or Kleinfelters or something like that, even those people are either male or female. It, they're male males with those conditions or females with those conditions. There is no third sex. So parents just have to be so careful, and they have to make sure that this stuff is not in their schools, public or private or religious or not. There's no, there's no solution except to be that you know, extra watchful. Our guest has been Brandon Showalter. He's a uh, reporter for the Christian Post. Brandon, you do good work. Where can people go to read uh, what you've written uh, about this topic or others? ChristianPost.com. I and my colleagues do some of the most truthful reporting on these issues in the country. You, you, your listeners should also know that and they won't be surprised to hear this, but I can just confirm, having spent years on the front lines of this, that the legacy media, the supposedly mainstream media, is completely captured by this ideology. So they will not get truthful journalism there, uh, especially on this issue. It's one of the worst, most egregious abuses of journalistic practice that I've ever seen. It's trying to overwrite reality itself. Well, Brandon, the good news is, the silver lining here, is that when you write uh, on these uh, issues, People applaud you, don't they? They they love it when you write about these kinds of contentious issues. Don't you get all kinds well, of affirmation and, from the public? <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it really depends who you're talking about, but no, it's, I was it's, I was I being facetious. 
I do. Well, I do get some gratitude from some people, but I may tell you, you would be surprised at how many non-Christians who do not share my view or my values on a lot of things reach out to me. Liberal atheist parents who say, I can't believe I'm reading the Christian Post now, but please don't stop because my daughter, for example, went to Planned Parenthood and they gave her testosterone within 30 minutes. Please keep going. I'm supporting. Even if we don't agree on other things, the truth is true no matter who says it. So please keep going. And that is indeed a silver lining. All right. Brandon, thank you so much for being on with us, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. You know, we, we should mention it used to be we might frame this in, you know, there's a few bad apple teachers out there. Uh, we want to say there's some great Christian teachers that are in the public school system. But it is the system that has become corrupted. Yes. That's what the parents like in Loudoun County, Fairfax County, Virginia, that's what they found out. They found out a system that had been corrupted. And that's, you know, and, and our, our guest is exactly right. It... it your kid may be going to a private school, public school. You've got to be checking because there is a worldview out there that has infected uh, the public school system. They honestly see it as an indoctrination center. Yes. We're going to take your kids. There, there are teachers that are being fired right now because they refuse to use the preferred pronoun right. of a student. Right. We had that case just in the out, last... Out of Loudoun County. Yeah, uh, yeah, just in the last couple of weeks uh, where a teacher refused to call Johnny mm-hmm. he uh, or wanted to call him he and no, Johnny says, no, I'm a she or something else. How many pronouns are there now? A couple of dozen, I think. It depends well, on which network you watch. Well, <laughs> and it, and also I'll say this. I think it was, uh, was it Facebook? It might have been Facebook. This is back five years ago because I wrote a, a little article about it. They actually have um, 58 choices of gender when you identify yourself in terms of your profile. Um, yeah, you say, well, how, how, how is that possible? Well, you, you, can, you can just look at, I mean, there's uh, not just the cisgender varieties, but there's, uh, you know, uh, a, a two-spirit. I mean, there's all kinds of, of ideas out there, but... Your point is exactly right. This is a corrupt system. Parents absolutely have to. No, and, and Brandon uh, was co- absolutely correct. You cannot trust what's on the outside of the school. Yeah. If it says Christian, you'd better find out. A lot of Christians, Christian schools may not be going this far yet on transgender, but they are going woke when it comes to oh, critical sure. race theory. Yes. You better be involved. The days that you're talking about, Fred, when we were growing up where parents could trust their teachers, trust the school system, mm. those days are over. Yes. They are over, folks. And talk about a silver lining. One of the good things that happened because of the COVID pan- pandemic and the lockdowns where these kids were at home, they were learning online through Zoom and other uh, remote learning uh, tools Parents started finding out mm-hmm. what their kids were being taught, and it turned Virginia from a purple state to a red state, sure. at, least, at least for the time being. Mm-hmm. That's how much – I was not surprised to hear – we were talking to Brandon Showalter of the Christian Post. Not surprised at all that even non-Christians are very upset. Atheist parents. Atheist parents. Mm. They do not believe that the schools have the primary responsibility for what their own children are being Taught. Folks, you better pay attention. Yes. All right. Off the soapbox. 
and we go to one of our favorite people. Even though he's a Buffalo Bills fan, <laughs> I, 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 I got to say he is one of my favorite people. Steve Tiber, president of Eight Days of Hope. Steve, welcome back to today's issues. Oh, man, I forgot about the Bills for a couple of days after that tough <laughs> loss, and, and, and you had to stir it up, didn't you? Well, my team were, were, are, are the Los Angeles Rams, so you can see why I don't oh, mind wow. talking about Congratulations. Yeah, we had a good, we had a good Congratulations. year. Congratulations. So, uh, yes, you did. And, anyway, you did. we're not here to talk about me and my team that won it all. <laughs> At the Super Bowl, <laughs> we're not we're not here to talk about that. Uh, well, well, I, well. I'll tell you this: a year from now, if the Bills win it all, if you have me on to talk about disasters, I'm going to find a way to turn it a little bit. Yeah. So, hey, listen, I deserve fully deserve the Bills that. Are, the Bills are getting there, Steve. They've been my we pick are, for the man. last couple of years. If I, I tell you what, I won't pick them next year, and that'll increase okay. the odds because apparently increase I'm the chances. Apparently, yeah. I'm the guy. All right, Steve. So I'm going to save our discussion, save us, save the show from any further discussion. Uh, unless you want to talk hockey, then we can we can we really really drive drive uh, uh, listeners away. Does Buffalo Buff- still does, have yeah, Does Buffalo still have an NHL team? <laughs> Sabers? Buffalo Sabers? Is it oh. the Sabers? They, oh. Come on, guys! They, yeah. They've won two in a row. Give, give us a chance. Yes, a chance. this conversation. So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> this, this is going brutal. All right, oh, man. Steve, uh, tell us what what you got coming up here with Eight Days of Hope. You go going back to Louisiana? Yeah, you know, so much going on in the world right now, guys, which deserves our attention, our prayers. Um, I do want to alert listeners that Hurricane Ida was one of the strongest storms ever to hit America, hit Louisiana on August 29th. And today, there are still tens of thousands of families that are not in their homes. In Laplace, Louisiana alone, uh, where we will be going, eight days old, we'll be going in April, more on that in a minute. Uh, there's there's 14,000 families in this parish that either needs roofs repaired, drywall fixed, painting, carpentry work, new cabinets, new flooring. And this is where we come in, the body of Christ. And so April 9th through April 16th, we're going to be leading thousands of volunteers to a town called Laplace, Louisiana, which is just west of New Orleans, about 20 miles or so. And we're going to be leading these volunteers, and we're going to help 150 families rebuild their homes for free in eight days. And everyone's invited. It doesn't matter your skill set. You could be a professional contractor or a roofer. We need you. Please come. But if you're semi-skilled, you're a handyman, handywoman, or if you're looking for your family just to go out and serve together, it's been a couple unique years in our country. Uh, but, you know, we're going to be um, just blessing people and helping people. It's free. We provide the food and lodging and all the details for 8 Days of Hope 17 is on our website at 8daysofhope.com. So come on down and um, get a chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Think Extreme Makeover times 150, but doing it to share the gospel, not only with words, but as importantly, probably more importantly, with actions. And Everyone's invited. Well, Steve, uh, what for people out there who are listening and you say, well, you don't have to be a carpenter or have any real skill set. Sure. We'll put you to work. What, what kind of what 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 kind of stuff are you talking about? I mean, how, how can yeah. people who are not skilled be helpful? So, you know, I, I know some college boys that are going down there, I say boys, young men. And, uh, you know, they, they've, they've been on a roof once or twice in their life and they're not professional roofers. But they're going to lay the shingles out for the professional roofers so they can use their nail guns and move quicker. Uh, we have people that will carry drywall and help hang drywall. We have 
uh, painting. A lot of homes need to have, um, you know, a first coat of paint before uh, the, the final coat of paint goes on. But if you can make sandwiches, if you can drive, if you can deliver materials, if you can, um, you know, fold T-shirts, if you can clean facilities, uh, if you know how to cut a lawn, if you know how to hedge bushes, we need you. Bring your kids, grandparents, bring your grandkids. You know, this is Easter week, and a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, it's a tough week. What a perfect week, April 9th to April 16th. You don't have to come for all eight days. You come for two, three, four, five, all, or all eight. Again, we provide food and lodging. You're going to have a blast. We start every morning and end every day with worship and devotion. The 150 families will be serving. They'll come back and have dinner with us every night to get to really meet the community. And we got a couple surprises, some fun things. You can't go to Louisiana and not eat some of that great food. So uh, bring bring a pair of pants that are expandable because we're going to call this one Eight Pounds of Hope because this uh, this is going to be a fun event for sure. All right. So, Steve, uh, I always ask for one example of how Jesus Christ changed someone's life. Uh, you have some of the most, am- I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest here, folks, some of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. If you sometimes wonder if God still works miracles, it might be because God tends to pour out those kind of blessings when people are really desperate and Christians are really getting their their hands dirty. Can you give me one story? Do you have one off the top of your head? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can give you dozens. Um, and they're a lot more fun to talk about than my Buffalo Bills right now. So, uh, um, And this one actually happened in Mississippi. A tornado went through Smithville, Mississippi, Hackleburg, Alabama, back in 2011, probably in April, probably one of the worst days for tornadoes in, 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 in X amount of decades. But this gentleman had uh, a fire to his house about six months prior. His brother had passed away, and his house got hit by the tornado. And he said strangers showed up. Didn't know you guys. About 20 people showed up. And he said, you know, I don't have the means. Um, my life is shot, and and there's no way I can do this. I don't have the right insurance. And eight days of hope, the volunteers that came from many states, they built him a home, a home in eight days. And on that eighth day, when, when he was talking to one of our leaders, he was sharing that he he was at the point where he was contemplating suicide. He was a widow. Uh, again, his house had burnt down just six months earlier. Um, his brother had passed. I mean, he was all alone and felt like God just met him at his lowest point. And so that gentleman had a brand new home built for him uh, by saints who traveled in from around the country. Someone who was, you know, literally on the borderline of do I want to continue to to live or do I want to take my life? And I'm so thankful for the volunteers uh, that worked. We had single women uh, with contractors, with uh, uh, husbands and wives, with grandparents and grandkids on that site. We were there for eight days. It was a very intense project, but fun project. But that gentleman is, is, is out serving the Lord and, and still from time to time travels with eight days of hope to pay it forward. So a lot of those stories will happen in Laplace. Go to 8daysofhope.com, read the FAQs, frequently asked questions. Come join us April 9th, April 16th, just a couple weeks away. Hey, it's Chris here. I just wanted to say uh, I'm from a a town that's next to Smithville. I went to Smithville Mm. School there. My uh, late stepmother taught uh, third grade there. Uh, I worked at at, at the Piggly Wiggly in Smithville. Uh, Went to school there, uh, fifth through eighth grade. So on behalf of the Smithville Seminoles, thank you for helping out there in Smithville (laughs) after that tornado. 
And thank I, you, you know, Chris, I, for that uh, plug for Piggly yeah. Wiggly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I started to say grocery store. There, there is another grocery store retailer hey, in that town now. We, we, we don't, we don't mind mentioning the pig. That's what they call it. So. <laughs> All right, Steve, you got anything else you want to add? Uh, go ahead and, get, and no, then you know, give the give the website yeah, one just, more time. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having us. You know, eighty percent of our volunteers come because they've heard about HS Hope on American Family Radio. So let me just publicly thank you three and everyone that's tied to that amazing organization. You know, 8,100 8, families have had their homes rebuilt for free because volunteers have traveled the country. Take two or three days of your life. Please consider coming to Laplace, Louisiana. You fly down, we'll pick you up at the airport. We're going to give you a safe place to sleep, hot shower every night, feed you really good, and you're going to make lifelong friends. Go to 8daysofhope.com. Pray for the mission. Consider volunteering. Hope to see you in Laplace, April 9th, April 16th, 8daysofhope.com. And yes, go Bills. Yes. Hey, now, Steve, uh, if folks cannot go because, well, we made plans, whatever, they can give to the ministry, right, at the website. Yeah, yeah, they can. You know, we have partners, including American Family Radio. They cover all of our fixed costs. So we have 15 partners, and they sew into the ministry. So if you want to donate... it is 100% passed through every penny. It doesn't go to a salary, a light bill, a truck, or insurance payment. And so know that those dollars will be used in Laplace. You can donate online at 80shope.com, or you can mail a donation, and that address is on our website and our Facebook page. But it's P.O. Box 3208, Tupelo, T-U-P-E-L-O, Mississippi, 38803. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it, brother. God bless you guys. Oh, and by the way, we got your linebacker, Von Miller. So Yes, I know. Buffalo, <laughs> I know it. All right. All right. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> Take all right. care, guys. Thanks, Steve. Well, Fred, that that is an amazing ministry, it and is. God does extraordinary things when mm-hmm. Christians put their lives on the line to go help somebody. That ministry has a tremendous story. Started uh, here at the home base here in yep. Mississippi. And uh, what a blessing it has been to many people, but it's also been a blessing to those who volunteer. Yeah. All right, folks, we are going to take a five-minute break for news. When we come back, the infamous Steve Jordahl, or maybe infamous, I don't know, famous, uh, will be in to uh, share what else is happening here and abroad. Again, five-minute break for news. You're listening to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.